Hello and welcome to Success Stories. I'm Kendra Hall, Chief Storytelling Officer at Success Magazine, and this is the podcast where we sit down with the brightest stars and the boldest thought leaders as they share their stories so you can create your own success story. In today's episode, we're doing something a little different. There aren't any guests. It's just you and me. The team at Success thought it might be a good idea to share a few of my behind-the-scenes stories on my own journey to success, and I was happy to do so. Happy and a little nervous, I mean, to talk just for an hour by myself seemed daunting. However, it turns out there are some things that I want to share with you, stories that I haven't told and stories that I hope help you along the way, stories I don't often talk about, stories about money, how to use it, how not to, the mistakes I've made along the way, and the things that really have worked for me. And as I listen to all of the other uh, guests on this show, the lessons that they've learned and the things I've gained from them, I think it's shaped some of my perspective as well. So I hope you enjoy this solo session as I share my story. Now, in case you don't know, my name is Kendra Hall. I'm the Wall Street Journal bestselling author of the book, A Stories That Stick, and an international keynote speaker. I speak for and teach leaders and executives and entrepreneurs across countless industries how to harness and leverage the power of their stories. I am, of course, the Chief Storytelling Officer at Success Magazine, where I get to interview icons, the icons you've heard on this podcast and in an effort to share their stories of success. I'm based in New York City with my husband and two kids. I am so excited to be a part of success and here to share my stories. So I have recently been starting every podcast uh, with a question, a question to the guest. And this is the kind of question that I would, I used to at the beginning when I was first filming the podcast, it was a question that I would save for the end, but then it would just happen that by the end of the conversation, I forgot to ask the question. So I wanted to just start with this question. And that is the question of what does success mean to you. And I don't know if you've ever asked yourself that question. It is, um, it's not as easy to answer as you would think, or at least in my case, I had one answer and then I thought about it and I'm like, but that's not exactly it. And then like the next day I remember I was in, um, I was in brushing my teeth and was like, actually, no, it's, it's this. And then that wasn't, that wasn't quite right. So I feel like for me, um, success has become, it's not a consistent, it's not like a state. It's not a, it's not a thing that you get or a place that you go, but rather it's a, a feeling you have. It's, it's a feeling that you are doing what you're meant to do or you're growing in the way that you are meant to grow, or 
I don't know. I think even sometimes it's something that you can't put words to. Uh, again, success is more a feeling. And, and what I've learned over time is that that feeling comes in unexpected ways, in, in unexpected places. Like there are, I don't know if you've ever had this happen, um, but where you think maybe you've had a goal right? Like let, let, let's say you had a goal to achieve a certain um, rank in your business or make a certain amount of money in a, a given year. Or I know for me, one of my goals was to become a best-selling author. Um, I wanted to be a New York Times best-selling author. I wanted to be a Wall Street Journal best-selling author. Like I wanted that title and it happened. Not the New York Times, but the Wall Street Journal. Stories That Stick was a Wall Street Journal best-selling book. And I remember getting the news that we had, um, that we had made that list. And I remember waiting for that feeling of, success and achievement. I was like, we made it. We did it. I accomplished this goal. And it didn't feel like I thought it would. Now, it isn't to say that I wasn't successful. Um, but actually, the feeling came a little bit later when I called my kids because I wasn't home when I got the news. I was on the road. I was traveling. I was at a keynote speech back when we did keynote speaking um, in person. And I called my kids and they, well, I called my mom. She was watching the kids. My mom and dad were, and they were walking the kids to school. And I remember that they were walking the kids to school. My mom handed her phone to my son. And I said, we made the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. And the sound of him like yelling to my daughter, we made the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. That moment of their excitement was actually when I felt success. Um, and I've had other moments. I remember, you know, growing up, we, I grew up in a very modest, you know, straight, middle class. Um, I have my mom and dad, they've been married 40 years. Uh, I have a younger brother, a younger sister. We grew up in rural Minnesota. Um, our neighbor, our closest neighbor was like a mile away and had a donkey. Um, our driveway was a mile long, probably a quarter mile now that I know half mile. Lots of hills. The milkman uh, one time was, we had a milkman and he, he like, he fell off the side of the driveway trying to bring us our milk. So rural, rural Minnesota. And, um, and whenever we would travel, I didn't, I think I got on a plane for the very first time uh, when I was a senior in high school. Otherwise we just drove to every vacation and we would stay in these like teeny tiny little motels all all five of us, uh, I remember every night we would order pizza because the pizza man, like they didn't deliver pizza to our house in rural Minnesota. So getting pizza at a hotel was, was a real treat. Like it was, you know, it was wonderful. It was modest. And I never really thought anything of it, except I remember this one trip in particular. Um, and 
when I was an adult and had had some success in my business, my business had grown. Uh, and I remember we rented a hotel. It was a room at the JW Marriott at the uh, Mall of America. And at this point, you know, I'm married, I have my two kids. And I remember them upgrading us. And the upgrade was like to the top floor and there was a room and a, there was a bedroom and a bathroom and then like a, a living room type area. Like it was a suite and we had a view of the airport, but it was amazing. And I remember, and I'd stayed in nice hotels before because I was always traveling, traveling for work and the events would be at beautiful places. But I remember my parents coming to the hotel to pick up the kids, like they were taking the kids up to the cabin or something. And watching my mom and dad walk into this like beautiful hotel suite and the look on their face. And my dad said, whoa, jeepers. Cause that's the kind of thing he always says jeepers. Any other Minnesota dads say jeepers. <laughs> I don't know, maybe it's just my dad. And that feeling right there in that moment was like, oh, this feels good. And it came from my hard work and it came from effort. Um, but yeah, I feel like success is more a feeling than it is a place. And it can come from the most, the most random experiences, uh, a compliment here, a job well done there. So that would be my answer to what success is. And even saying it now, I feel like it's, not a good enough definition. So I encourage you, if you're listening and you've listened to my previous podcasts and you've heard me ask that question of somebody else, what does success look like to you? And you haven't tried to ask that question of yourself, um, give it a try. You might be surprised at the number of edits and iterations it takes to answer, to answer that question. So just like I normally do with my guests, the whole point of this podcast is to see some of the, or to hear some of the stories, like the behind the scenes stories on the path to where the person is today. So I don't know if we've even had this conversation before. Maybe you've heard bits and pieces of it, but in addition to being the chief storytelling officer, at Success Magazine. I'm also a keynote speaker. I wrote the book, Stories That Stick. I have another book in the works that I can't tell you the title of yet, but that is coming soon. And my expertise is entirely in the power of stories, how storytelling can transform business, how storytelling truly can transform your life if you seize and recognize and embrace the power that even the smallest stories can have. Now, I know when I say that, like, oh, I'm a, because you, you could call it a, um, I'm a professional storyteller, which sounds like a completely awkward title like when I was in college you like one of my roommates was going to school to be a nurse one was in broadcast journalism one was in communication like she wanted to work on a communications team with a large corporation like they all had very one was going to school to be a teacher like very defined roles and me I always considered myself the gonzo like nobody really knew what I was or what I was supposed to be doing. Um, 
And I, and I didn't know either. But one thing that I did know was I was just going to be open. And the other thing that I knew is that stories had always played a really big role in my life. I told my first story when I was in fifth grade. It was an assignment for a class. And I had one of those um, moments where I was standing in front of a class. It was a room full of third graders. I told a story and I could tell even in those first few sentences that I just, that the story had some sort of captivating power. Like all of the third graders were listening. And, and then Years later, my mother told me the story of the first time when I came home to practice the story that I was going to tell for my assignment. And she tells the story that we were in the living room and I was like, hey, mom, I need to practice this story for my fifth grade English class. And she was like, oh, okay, you know, parents, you know how this goes. You're like, okay, yeah, I will sit down and listen to you. And she says that she sat on the floor and I still remember it with her back against the couch. And I started telling the story and she said, it was like otherworldly. Like it was something that she hadn't really seen before or didn't like, there was just this, um, light. And, and I don't go, I don't talk about this a lot, but I, as I was preparing for this and thinking about, you know, my path to where I am, I have every time followed those um, beams of light, if you will. It's almost like, like, like when the universe comes in and says this, this right here. And, and it doesn't necessarily makes sense. Like what, like me being able to tell a story for fifth grade, like what, who even does, like, what does that even mean? But there was this like flash of light in that moment. And um, thank goodness for my mother, she recognized it and then encouraged me. So I continued with that behavior. I joined the um, speech team in high school. And there, I remember my very first meet that I was ever at. And I don't know, if you've never been to a speech meet, you have no idea how intense the speech meets are. Any of my fellow, I just need to take a minute here. Any of my fellow speech teamers know that speech meets are super intense. They're so competitive. And think about it. You're just a kid. You go into the room. Here's what happens. And when you're a storyteller, it's even more intense because when you're a storyteller on the speech team, they give you a list at the beginning of the season of 15 stories. They're usually fairy tales that you are supposed to learn. They're only supposed to be uh, six minutes long. You're supposed to learn all of them. And then at a speech meet, there are three rounds. And so you sit in the library. When you're a storyteller, you're supposed to know these 15 stories. When it's your turn to go, you walk up to the desk, you draw three titles randomly out of an envelope, and then you choose one of those stories to tell. You then go and stand in front of the classroom where out in the hallway where you will be delivering this story or telling this story, and you practice telling the story, like refresh your memory, to a locker. Like you stand in the hallway and tell a story to a locker. It's really terrible, actually. It is, yeah, some, some of you I know are speech team people. And then you go into the room and you tell the story in front of 
other kids who are standing there judging you because they're your competitors and a judge, like an actual judge who is sitting there watching you, taking notes on what you're doing well, what you're doing poorly. And then when you finish the story and all of the kids have taken their turn, they hand out the pieces of paper that say what you did badly, or in some cases, what you did well, and you walk out and then you got to do it all again. And they rank you, they rank you. Like this was actually a speech meet. Anyway, I digress. So, so it was my very first speech meet. It's a super intense experience. And um, I remember at the end of it, they had this like honors round where the people that ranked the best throughout the meet then got to kind of tell a story, but just for fun, it wasn't um, being judged. And then they did the award ceremony. And I remember standing on the stage, there were eight of us up there and they announced, and I was a freshman, it was my first meet, they announced eighth place and then seventh place and then sixth, fifth, fourth, third, second. And I remember they announced first place, but they, they said my name and then they announced that it was first place. And that was another one of those like moments of light. Um, I remember standing on the stage. I remember looking out in the audience and my team, the rule was we didn't like scream and cheer um, and make all sorts of obnoxious noises. We would stand, like give a standing ovation uh, if one of our team members got first place. And I remember looking out and seeing my team stand and my coach who was a really hard coach standing there smiling like with her not showing her teeth that's how she would smile and she was really proud just with her lips and clapping her hands off a little bit to the side and I remember standing there thinking oh my gosh like I think I think I'm on to something but of course again I was I was I was how old are you when you're a freshman in high school? I don't even know. I was a freshman in high school. I was a kid. Um, so I kept telling stories there. I started going to um, storytelling festivals, entering other storytelling competitions. Yes, they have those. Uh, when I went to college, I did a senior project where I went into the hospital and interviewed all these nurses to get their stories about um the stories about being a nurse and then analyzed those stories in my master's degree my thesis was about the role of storytelling in organizational socialization like stories just kept coming up um and even though it didn't make sense i just kept going forward so and being really open to it. And so I guess that, that is one of the, if I were to say that there were a secret to success is that oftentimes your greatest successes aren't going to make any sense at first. And all of the people that I've interviewed, um, all of the, I just finished interviewing a uh, comedian, Michael Jr. That podcast is going to come out in just a couple of weeks. And he had like one of these completely random moments in his life where he discovered the thing he was meant to do. So the thing that you're meant to do or the thing that will put you on your own path to success is often not as obvious 
as you would think it is. And, and one of the challenges with hearing people's success stories is it makes so much sense once you hear it. But the importance is to remember, like in the middle of it, it, it doesn't. Like I remember, um, and this was after I, long after graduate school, I had quit my job as a VP of sales, which was a very, you know, normal job, made a lot of sense. I had a good job, made good money, uh, but I wanted to be a storyteller, even though I didn't know what that was. Um, and I remember, I remember deciding that what I was going to do was create a digital course to teach people about storytelling. And I was going to make a gajillion dollars doing it. And um, I created the whole course. It took years. It took money. It took so much effort. It was, it was so much work. And I remember I had it all boxed up um, because there were DVDs and there were workbooks. This is back when there were DVDs and workbooks. And a friend came over and I was like, she's like, what is this? And I was like, oh, this is my storytelling program. I'm, I'm going to be a storytelling expert and teach people about storytelling in their business. And she, keep in mind, I've been working on this for years. And she looked at me and said, so who is going to buy this? Like what? <laughs> now talk about a deflating moment, right? Like, and, and, and I've had those moments like, oh, she's Michael was just telling me he was talking to a, an old acquaintance friend of ours who was like, I still can't, I still remember when you told me that Kendra was quitting her job and she was going to be a storyteller. And I thought, well, good luck with that. What even is that? Um, but to be open to the signs, to be open to those moments of light and just keep, even if it doesn't make sense, know that it doesn't make sense until after it makes sense. Um, so that is one of the, and, and I mean, I remember when I first wanted to write my book about storytelling, you remember, uh, I mentioned, I wrote the book stories that stick. I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I am going to write a book about storytelling in business. Um, and I was so confident about it and I was so excited about it. And I went to this event that was basically an event to learn how to pitch a book to literary agents and how to get a book deal and how to write a book. And I was like, oh, I've so got this. And every agent who was there, who I talked to was like, no, no, you don't have enough. You don't have enough Twitter followers. I mean, what even is Twitter? But let's not I'll save that conversation for another time. But like, you don't have enough Twitter followers. What is your platform with storytelling? What? Like they just, they didn't, they didn't get it. And again, I say that now um, with a book that's done okay. Like it's done all right. So it doesn't make sense until it makes sense. So just keep going. Um all right, so a few other things that I wanted to share that I don't usually talk about, um, but I think they're really important for anyone who is 
especially if you're looking to start a business or, um, yeah, or, or has that entrepreneurial drive. I'm, I'm thinking, I'm pausing right now because I know that in just like 30 minutes, I'll be interviewing Damon John um, and all of the, you know, like, how do you interview someone who like is the ultimate uh, entrepreneur? But I was thinking like, what are some of the things, the stories that I wish I had been told before I got started? Because I think you can start on any new endeavor and think you know the rules or think that there are certain rules. Um, and you may not have the whole story. So one of the things that I wanted to talk about here was uh, to talk about money, which again, is weird. I don't usually talk about it on my platforms. I don't usually talk about it to you here, but I think that the stories with money are really important um, to share. And there's two, there's two big ones that I get asked a lot um, for people who are just trying to get started. And the first one is this challenge of working for free. Um, especially if you are an artist. I don't know if any of you are artists or creatives, maybe you're writers, or maybe maybe you're just getting started in something. And everybody says, don't undervalue yourself. Don't work, don't work for free. Um, and I think that one of the big keys to my success was my willingness to work for free because I didn't see it as undervaluing myself. I saw it as putting in the reps, as getting the experience, as taking the time and making the mistakes and, and the learning and getting better. So, um, one of my one of my early early i would say test runs of like what could storytelling what what could i bring to the marketplace in terms of storytelling was uh volunteering um and in particular there was this fundraising event at the time i lived in phoenix uh, Arizona, and there was this fundraising event for the National Kidney Foundation of Arizona, and it was um, it was a Dancing with the Stars themed thing. So they had local celebrities in the Phoenix area, and they were paired with professional dancers, and they would dance and raise funds, and it was great. It was a great fundraising event. And I had some friends who were heading up the committee, and I was like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we did videos and like interviews and told the stories of these local celebrities, and they could use that to raise funds. And my friends were like, yeah, let's do it. So I had this teeny tiny little flip cam. Um, I know this is before like videos on a phone were any good. Like I had a, a flip cam and I would go to some of the most powerful people in Arizona and show up there. And I was like, gosh, I was like seven months pregnant, six months pregnant, show up with my little flip cam and like, videotape them like one uh one woman was uh Brittany Ship she was the um meteorologist at the big station in 
Arizona. She now lives in Philadelphia. And so I went and filmed and had her tell her story. There were people in the Arizona government, some of the most prominent business people were, were there. Were, and I would just go into all of their offices with my little flip cam and, and that was free. Uh, and it was a ton of time and it was a ton of work. But I realized two things. Number one, I was making some really great, I was building some like really great relationships with some really important people in my community. And those relationships years later ended up quote unquote paying off. But at the time, it was just volunteering. It was just offering my skill and, and trying it out. And that was the second thing that I realized B was that people responded to hearing people's stories. They, they liked sharing their stories. We were able to raise more funds because of their stories. And actually, now that I'm remembering this, they, I volunteered the first year and they paid me the second. So, so don't underestimate the power of, of working for free and what that can turn into. And for me, another way that that happened was um, I wanted to be a keynote speaker. I wanted to be able to share the message of the power of storytelling on huge stages uh, and make a difference in people's lives that way. Well, if any of you have ever tried to become a keynote speaker, it's not easy to do and you don't get paid right away uh, unless you're a celebrity or contestant on The Bachelor. Maybe you get paid. I don't, I don't know, but I wasn't going to get paid right away. And so there were times I remember there were times there were events that I went to one in particular. I remember it was in Scranton, Pennsylvania, Scranton. And I flew to Scranton. I had to pay my, I had to pay my way. Um, flew to Scranton. There were 10 people in the room, 10. Flew all the way there. I delivered my keynote to 10 people. I flew myself all the way home. I had to stay two nights. <laughs> like I lost like $700 on that trip. Um, but there were 10 people in that room. And one of the 10 people worked for the Chamber of Commerce and they were hosting a women's event. Um, and needed a keynote speaker. And they hired me for that event. And then I spoke at the chamber event. There was like 300, I think there were 300, 400 women. I had to go back to Scranton, which actually, if you haven't been to Scranton, go to Scranton. I love Scranton. It's so cute. They've got this little square. They have a great coffee shop. And anyway, go to Scranton. Um, it's more than just the office and Jim Halpert and Michael Scott. Uh, but someone was in that event at the chamber and they were the event planner for a company and they hired me at full fee. Um, it was at that point, I'm trying to do five, five figures, my full fee, the fee that I had dreamed of, um, just you know, three events later for something that, I mean, not only did I do the first one for free, I lost money on it. Um, another time I remember I 
spoke at this event, a similar situation. And at the end of it, they were like, and for your payment, you can have what's left at the buffet. And there was like one chicken taco left. But you know what happened at that event? The technology broke down. My PowerPoint didn't work and I got some really great experience troubleshooting what happens when the projector breaks down and you were planning to speak using a PowerPoint presentation and you can't. I got that experience for free. Like that's how you can see it. Like, oh my gosh, I didn't have to worry that somebody had paid me and now I have to figure this out. I got that experience for free and it paid off so big. So, so if you, oh, and the same with writing, I, I, I did some uh, freelance writing for people. I remember when I first got started, what I thought my storytelling career was going to be was writing wedding vows for people for their weddings. Um, so I would like interview the groom and write his story and then interview the bride and write her story. And um, I would spend hours, hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. And I charged $100. Like I was making like a dollar an hour. It was, it was really bad. Right. But, but I was gaining experience in writing. And so and so I guess what I would share with you here that I, I don't know that people drill all the way down on these lessons is that like, this is what it looks like when people talk about the hustle, when they talk about, when they talk about, you just got to get out there and do it. This is what those stories look like. And, and I know that in the moment you can feel like you're doing the wrong thing. Like you're selling yourself short. You're never going to get anywhere. But, but this is where it starts. Um, and now I love, I love those stories. And I wouldn't be where I am today if those stories hadn't happened. And, and I know for sure, I feel like, you know, when people ask, like, what's the antidote to imposter syndrome? Um, I feel like some of these stories are it. Like, I go back and retell myself no, no, I didn't just get here because of a luck. Like I, it was a blood, sweat and chicken tacos getting to where I am now. There is no mistake that I have earned where I am. So, so that's one, so that's one of those like money conversations that I feel like is an important aspect of like anyone's success story business that maybe they, or success story journey that maybe they don't always share. And the other one, is also um, is also about money, and that is this this concept of um, spending spending money or investing money. Like, what is because because it's true. Like, you do have to. So so I would say this: you do have to spend money to make money. There are some cases where that is true. Now, it doesn't start there. Uh, I have seen people make the mistake where they're like, oh my gosh, I am going to, or now, like if people were to start their keynote speaking business right now in the environment that we're in, which is, you know, everything is virtual. So you might think that you need to get multiple lights and, and super high tech 
I don't even know what to I don't even know what to call it what what it would be to call it like all these gadgets to make your let, let me tell you this we I do a lot of virtual keynote speaking. Um, maybe I shouldn't share this now, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter. This is the truth. This is the real life. This is the real life story. Uh, we have a camera that we bought, I think it was about six years ago. Um, so it's not high tech. It is not, I mean, it's, it's old. I mean, a six-year-old camera is ancient. You could probably dig one up and call it a fossil at this point. Um, we have a one screen that's just blue paper uh, that we put on a frame, the frame we got for uh, my book tour, because I wanted like a step and repeat on my book tour. So we use that same like big metal frame. We hang it up in our bedroom. For a while during COVID, when this whole thing started, um, we would put our kids in the closet and have them have my mom read a book to them while I was filming the keynote. Uh, that's how fancy it was. And I would film, we had light, our lighting was like Home Depot lights, like little clip lights that we would clip on the chairs in our, in our living room. Like, I guess the point that I'm saying is it could be really easy to say to yourself, well, in order to do this, in order to get started, I have to have the highest quality. And maybe you would a use that as an excuse not to get started, which it isn't don't that it's, it's just, you don't have to do that. Right. Or B you might use it um, as an excuse to spend a whole lot of money and get all tangled up in a whole lot of technical stuff that isn't going to get you any closer to your goal. So I do believe that you need to spend money to make money. Um, but I also think that it's so important that you be extremely discerning on how and where you spend that money. Um, so for example, here were a few great money, money investments that I made. Uh, number one, I hired a coach for my speaking business. Um, I went to, when I was first getting started as a keynote speaker, I went to a chapter meeting for the National Speakers Association. There was a woman there, her name is Jane Atkinson, um, and she gave a presentation about building your speaking business. And I was like, you know what? I need to know how to do that. I know what my goals are. I know what I'm capable of. And I also know that I have no idea how to um, I have no idea how to run a speaking business, so I am going to hire her. I bought her book, and I read her book. I studied it. I got up early every morning. I would go to a coffee shop while my kids were still asleep. At this point, I had two kids under two. Like, I was, I was building a business in the early morning hours and between nap time, um, and I did hire her as a coach because I didn't want to spend my time learning about the speaking business. I wanted to be able to have someone that I could like ask my questions to and accelerate it. It was the best investment I had made for my business because it did exactly that. Like I shortcutted because anytime you're doing something new, there is a learning curve. I was able to kind of bypass that learning curve. It's like the game shoots and ladders. That's really a way to look at this, actually. Just think about the game shoots and ladders. 
You want to be looking for those opportunities in your business, in your life, where you can hop on that one really big ladder that takes you all the way to the top of the game board so you can win and beat your brother and sister at shoots and ladders. Um, so I was looking for all of those ladders. Hiring a business coach was one of them. Now, I didn't just like, I knew who she was. Like I had seen her speak. I knew who some of her clients were. I had seen them. So I, I made a educated guess, took an educated risk that she would be what I needed and she was. Um, another great investment that I made was I rented office space. Now it's funny because I would say on the flip side, one of the big mistakes that we've made in our business was another time we rented office space. So there could be a time and a place for these different situations. But remember I was, when I was first starting my business, I was working in between nap time. Um, and I just, I needed a space where I could think where I didn't, we actually then hired a babysitter. That was another great investment that we made, um, outsourced childcare just to free up more of my creative time. Cause at the time I was pretty much a stay at home mom trying to build a business. And so we hired a babysitter, but I would be sitting in a room, like either in my bedroom, which it just wasn't really working or another room. And they were babies at the time. So I would hear them cry. I would hear them and it just wasn't working. Now I tried it for a very long time because I didn't have extra money. Um, and I didn't want to get an office space if I could make this work for free. Uh, but eventually we decided it just, if we could find the right place it would be a good investment. And so I ended up finding, uh, renting just like a desk in an architectural firm's office. It was beautiful. It was a beautiful creative space. Um, and rent was $450 a month. I did not have $450 a month, but I knew if I spent that money, it would enable me to maybe make $2,000 a month or whatever it was. Um, I saw it as one of my ladders. And so, so that's what we've been, that's kind of been our mode of operation ever since we started this business. Where can we invest money that will speed up? Now I mentioned another time we rented an office space and it was a terrible idea. It was when we first moved to New York. Um, Michael and I were working, but I was traveling a lot. Michael was working from home, but this is pre-COVID. Like he was sitting at the house by himself. Like I was traveling, the kids were at school, but we were like, oh, we really should get an office space. So we rented a WeWork office. Do you have any idea? I think it was like $2,500 a month for a room that was the size of like a dresser. And that's where he was working. It was a terrible decision, but we rented the office space because we thought we should. So anytime you find yourself making a decision or investing your money in something because you think you should, that should be a red flag that you, that you shouldn't. There was another time that we, um, we bought this like really expensive CRM customer. I don't even know what CRM customer relation management. I don't even know what CRM stands for, but it was so fancy that, you know, you had to go through all this training and the monthly fees. And it was like, but it was the thing that was going to change. No, it didn't. It didn't change our business. It became a distraction because we were trying to figure out this CRM. Now, that's not to say that at some point a CRM is going to be really important for our business. But right now, what is important for our business is different. 
key items. Um, so there's that. Okay. The last thing I want to share with you in this podcast. So I shared with you a little bit of my storytelling path and that even though it might not make sense, it doesn't, the story never makes sense until after it's told. So, you know, who would know that you could build a seven figure business as a storyteller? People would have laughed at me. I laughed at myself when I thought, when I first came, like, even dreamed that that was possible. So it might not always make sense, but I really do believe that the universe will give you signs. They will give you these like slices of light where something's like, oh yes, that it's almost like a, when you play a pinball game and you, um, they have those little things where you push the button and it bats the ball into like into the right area. Those are those moments of light that tell you to keep going on the path that you're on. I've talked about working for free. I think that's an important aspect of any success story is, is what that part looks like from just idea to something that actually makes money. And then um, third, we talked about spending money to make money. And I think the last thing that I would leave you with here um, that maybe is a key to the success that I have achieved thus far is constantly being aware of where you are in the story. And this is something I'm going to be talking a lot about in my next book, but you know, there, there are naturally going to be setbacks. There are going to be things that appear to be huge failures. Um, the 2020, the beginning of 2020 was devastating for us. Uh, you know, I've spent the majority of this podcast telling you about building my keynote speaking career. Well, guess what collapsed almost overnight in, and I say February, because that's when we first started getting inklings that events were maybe going to start canceling. Um, and then it definitely started happening in March. We actually just went through and we're doing some stuff with our taxes and compared our Q1 revenue in 2020 compared to 2019. And I looked at Michael, my husband, and was like, I can't believe we like mentally survived that crash. Um, and it wasn't just like, it wasn't just business. It wasn't just business uh, failures or devastation. You know, the pandemic has shaken things up on so many levels, but, but back to that point about where you are in the story, I want to share one story with you. I've shared it on my Instagram before. Oh, if you don't follow me on Instagram, you should do that. It's at Kendra Hall, K-I-N-D-R-A-H-A-L-L. Um, but right at the end of February, uh, we business was so good. Like 2020 was gearing up to be like the craziest year. Like I had multiple events that were booked in stadiums, like 16,000 people, 18,000 people, 20,000 people. I mean, when I think about what that year was supposed to be, it was insane. And um, we had decided that we could upgrade. We're very 
very responsible with our finances and we had decided that we could upgrade to a different apartment. And we found this amazing apartment. Uh, it had a balcony, it had, a, it had an outdoor space, it um, had great views. Uh, the, the building itself had a huge like outdoor space up on top of the building where they would like, there was a net so you could like play baseball up there. They would have video like movie nights and project stuff. It was just the coolest, the coolest apartment ever. And um, oh man, I was so excited. Talk about success. I was like, this is it. I, we've made it like this apartment. We've worked so hard. I am so excited to live here. And the day we got approved for the lease was the same day that we had three events cancel. Well, or not cancel, but like, we're like, hey, I don't think we can do a, an, a live event. Like we're either going to postpone or we're going to, like, it was just, nobody knew. Nobody knew what was happening. So people are like, oh, we can't do it this week, but we'll do it next week instead. Because um, it's just for our local team. Like it was crazy. And so we got approved for the lease and had three events like be like, Hey, I don't think we're going to be able to. And all of a sudden we were like, Holy moly. Like what is happening? So we didn't sign the lease. And I remember writing the guy back. Cause this was early March. This was like March first, but maybe February 29th. Do you remember that last year was a leap year? Um, or that 20, yeah, 2020. I don't even know what last year is anymore. Um, and, and so I wrote the guy at, at the leasing office. I was like, Hey, you know what? We've just got to put a pause on this. You know, things are a little weird with this virus. And he was like, wait, what? What virus? Like he didn't even know what it was. He didn't even know what we were. He didn't even know what he, we were talking about. Um, and in the first two weeks of March, actually went that way. Like I felt like a personal failure because nobody else was really catching on to the fact that, like it it hit the events business first. Anyway, so we lost that apartment. Uh, we didn't know if we were even going to be able to stay in our apartment. We didn't have any source of income, like everything. It was crazy. And, um, and I remember, I remember sitting on my windowsill and looking out at the street and we were on the fourth floor and on the 28th floor and thinking to myself, this is so sad. Like, I can't believe this is how this story ends. I can't believe it. And there was a little voice in the back of my head. And at the time, I mean, March, I don't want to listen to the voice inside my head. Like there was, I was done. I was like, no, I'm not gonna. But there was a voice in the back of my head that was like, this is, maybe this is just the middle of your story. Maybe this is just the middle of this story. Like, thank goodness you didn't sign that lease. Maybe someday you'll be happy you didn't get that apartment because you found something better. 
And I didn't think it was possible. That's why I didn't want to listen to the voice. And now I look back on that time and we didn't get that apartment. We did indeed find a better one, Um, like a dream, like an apartment that I wouldn't even have dreamed of. Uh, We got it for 30% off because everybody was leaving New York City and and it was such an important lesson and it, and a specific one, like certainly apartments in New York City is not the, there were many, many other tragedies in the pandemic, uh, much greater than where I was living uh, and where my new apartment was going to be. But I share that story because it is an example of how important it is that on your path to success, whatever that feeling is, whatever that place is, whatever, however you see success, there are going to be setbacks. Sometimes they're going to be big. Sometimes they're going to be enormous. Sometimes you're going to see them coming. Sometimes they're going to come out of nowhere. But in those moments, something that has helped me and I think is the benefit of being a storyteller is that I always pause in those moments and ask myself, what if this is just the middle of the story? And you know what, actually, especially after 2020, I don't even ask myself, what if anymore? I say to myself, oh, wow, look at, we are in the middle of this story. Uh, (laughs) And in the case of the pandemic, I'm like, ooh, this middle of the story is a lot longer than I thought it would be, but we are, and there have been a lot of other like little stories in between that have had a beginning, a middle and an end that have had the normal explosion, new normal that have come full circle. Um, But just that perspective, that mindset of what if this is, or hey, this is just the middle of this story has been one of the most important aspects of any success that I have achieved. So I am going to be, this is the first in uh, several individual solo podcasts that I will be doing. This will be the longest one. I was not planning to talk for this long. So thank you for, for listening. We'll see you soon. If you enjoyed this conversation, look up an inch or down an inch and check out all of our previous discussions. You can find those at iTunes, Spotify, Overcast, Stitcher, or wherever finer podcasts are sold. And of course, check out the latest issue of Success Magazine by heading over to success.com slash subscribe and get more inspiring stories like this delivered right to your front door. Be sure to give us a review on Apple iTunes and you can find me at KindraHall.com or on Instagram at KindraHall. That is Kindra with an I. I can't wait to hear the stories you'll tell. Until next time.